We have been working on looking at studying the book of Matthew for over a year now. I think this is the 47th or 48th um, message in the, in the series. Last week we got to consider the, the impact of Christ's death, which was the, the apex, I think, of all history. It was the, the, the place, the point that God's plan of salvation was all working toward. We are going to look at the resurrection today, which is, in my mind, the exclamation point. This is the thing that seals the deal. The reality is, again, as I mentioned last week, there were other resurrections. But we weren't saved by those. They didn't pay for our sins. It was Christ's perfect sacrifice that paid for our sins. However, if he hadn't been risen from the dead, then his sacrifice wouldn't have been accepted. And so this is the exclamation point to the whole moment. I mean, for his disciples, you think about it from their perspective. I mean, we're looking hindsight, looking backwards. But from the disciples, what did they see? What did they see? They saw him die. This is kind of as Caleb and I just saying. We knew he was dead. It's finished, he said. And we watched as his life ebbed away. Guards took him down. We wrapped him up. We took him to the tomb. But it was getting to be Sabbath, a holy convocation. We'll talk about that in a moment. And so... We've got to get him in the tomb, because we can't be working on the Sabbath day, so we've got to at least get him in the tomb. So we wrapped him up, we stuck him in a tomb, a nearby tomb, Joseph, which we saw in our reading, right? Joseph had a tomb that was nearby, so he said, hey, use my tomb, throw him in the tomb. So from all intents and purposes, Jesus is dead. He's dead. I'm Peter now. What more am I thinking? It's over. He told me what? I'd deny him. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? And what did I do? I denied him. And now he's dead. Could you imagine how the disciples felt during those days? when Christ was in the tomb, and how then they must have felt when they realized he was alive. We have the benefit of, of hindsight being 2020, right? I mean, yes, this, every Sunday we get, we get together in, to, to worship the resurrection, really, if you would, of Christ. I mean, that's why we get together on the first day of the week. We remember this. So this is like, yeah, okay, resurrection, we get it. That means we've got to get up early on Resurrection Sunday because these folks like to have sunrise service. You know, if it wasn't for the resurrection, I'd be sleeping in bed. Anyways, <laughs> but think about it. So for us, this is a big deal. You know, that, but could you imagine how much of a really big deal it was if you just watched him die and you were living in that moment? You knew what he said. But did you really believe 
what he said. There's one thing to hear it and acknowledge it. It's another thing to what? To have your life committed to it. So as we look at this resurrection, we want to look at it um, from a couple perspectives. I want to look at, first of all, the technical side of stuff, and I want to run through this quickly. And um, I'll show this slide up here in a moment. But if you didn't get one of these a couple months ago, I have a few of these left, and I can always print some more. If you'd like one, does anybody need one right now? You didn't see it before? You can kind of look at it, Kenny. Um, And so, um, again, there's these here. You can look at them. But we're going to talk about this. The timing of the resurrection is, is to me, very, very important. I I think that there are... um, I I don't want to get into arguments over... um, points that don't matter. But I think that there are points that do matter. And, and not that I want to argue about them, but that's why I'm wasting time on this right now. Okay, So I'm going to hopefully go through this quickly. We can talk more about it later if you're interested in it. But I find this is very important. Okay, When did Christ raise from the dead? That's a big deal to me. Okay, um, Not the exact date. I can't go back there and say it was going to be this exact date. But what do we know? Because God's word is very clear with the things that it tells us, right? What do we know? First of all, we know it was on the first day of the week. That's what we read in the beginning of 28, as David read this morning. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 1. Uh, the first day of the week began to dawn, came. So not a big deal. But what I want to point out, we're going to spend a little time here on, um, and then we're going to move on r- r- quickly, that in Matthew 28, verse 1, what it literally says is, in the, in the Greek, after the Sabbaths, Okay, so that's where I'm going to get this. It was after the Sabbaths, plural. Okay, and so before I can get into that, we got to go all the way back to Genesis, and we got to look real quickly at the the concepts of what is the Shabbat anyway. What is what is the Sabbath? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter two, when God created heavens and the earth, and we're told that on the seventh day, the Shabbat. Okay, and so um, Hebrew Hebrew is built upon a is a tricontinental language. Okay, you say, what does that mean? That means you get three consonants together, okay? And then the vowels were kind of added after the fact, but the vowels kind of changed the concept of it. But you've got three consonants, okay, that make up a word. And it's kind of, um, it's an oriental language from the perspective that the, each letter, in a sense, meant something, and then letters were added to letters, and it built it upon a concept, okay? So anyway, so the seventh is Shabi'i, okay? You can see it up there. Okay, I, I transliterated it for you. Shabi'i. On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he what? He rested. See the shba, okay? The shba, it's built upon each other. It's the Shabbat, okay? And so there becomes a concept of the Shabbat being a time of rest, but it's also the seventh of the days, okay? So on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested Shabbat on the seventh day, Shabi'i, from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the Shabi'i, the seventh day, and he, chadashed, sanctified, made it holy. It's all going to come into... While I'm having those words there, you're going to see this again in just a moment, okay? These are all important. He sanctified it, made it holy, because he rested Shabbat from all of his work, which he had created and made, okay? So we have the seventh Shabi'i, the seventh day, which is referred to as the Shabbat, single B, okay? Not intensified. Um, and then... God then sanctified it, kadeshed it, okay? We come into the law now, into the law, in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 is the chapter which, which deals with, bless you, which deals with 
all the feasts of Israel, okay? In the beginning of the feast, the very first of the feast that is talked about is actually the weekly feast. We don't think about that as a weekly feast, but it was a weekly feast to the, to the Jews. That weekly feast was the Shabbat. So, beginning of verse 3 and 4, six days shall work be done, but the seventh Shabbat day is a Shabbat. Now it's intensified, okay? It's a Shabbat of solemn rest, Shabbaton. So, note again the single B there, Shabbaton, okay? Um, a holy Chadesh convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Shabbat of Yahweh in all your dwellings. These are the feast of Yahweh, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their times. So, I'm moving quickly through this, okay? I, I get this. But you've got this Shabi'i, the seventh day, which is a Shabbat, a day of rest, okay? Which then becomes a special day. So you've got a Shabi'i, which is a Shabbat, okay? Which becomes a special day, the Shabbat. Are you tracking with me? Okay? So you've got the seventh day, which is seen as a day of rest, which then becomes a holy convocation known as a Shabbat, there's a don't 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 happening here. Okay, this is important because there's different meanings then to this Shabbat, to this concept of a Sabbath. Okay, which is what I'm trying to get you to understand. There's the concept of a seventh day. There's the concept of a rest. There's a concept of a holy convocation. Are you tracking with me on this? Okay, three concepts within Shabbat: seventh, rest. Holy Convocation. Okay? So, in the feasts, every one of the Sabbaths, a day, okay? A Sabbath day, the Holy Convocation, is a special day. On that special Holy Convocation day, you should do what? Rest. No work. You should rest. Okay? So, on the Shabbat, you should Shabbat. Okay? I, I, I hope I'm trying not to lose you on that, but you've got to track with me on that, okay? Because it's a Kadesh. It's a holy convocation. Now, where we come into importance is Leviticus 23 doesn't end here. This is just about the weekly Shabbat, which is a holy convocation. Because in verse 5, we get into the Passover celebration, okay? And note what it says, beginning with Passover. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. We've talked about that, and again, it's on here. Okay, that's where the, the, you can see on the thing where it's 3 p.m., where the offering of the lamb, that's because it's twilight. From 3 to 6 is the end of the day. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, if I have time, just kind of point that out to you. There's actually a, a word that actually refers to the end of the day. Okay, and so, so they have the twilight, it's the Lord's Passover, but that whole day was from the, the, the sundown before to that sundown is all the 14th day. But really, the rest of the day was a day of preparation, a day of preparing for Passover. Okay, So it wasn't until the end of the 14th day, from 3 to 6 o'clock, where they would then offer the Passover lamb. And that's what they referred to as the Passover. Okay, And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to Yahweh, Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you shall have a what? Holy Convocation. That was the Shabbat. That was the Sabbath of rest. So, the first day of unleavened bread was supposed to be a Shabbat. It wasn't going to be a Sabbath day, like the seventh day, but it was going to be a Shabbat. It was going to be a Sabbath, a holy, special 
Sabbath. Are you tracking? Okay. So it's not a seventh day. It's going to be a day of rest only because it is a Sabbath. It is a special day, a holy convocation. The first day, you shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to Yahweh for seven days. The seventh day shall also be a what? Holy convocation. Okay? So, so not a weekly. This isn't a weekly event. This could fit anywhere, okay? Because the 14th and 15th day, not necessarily, are going to be on a Saturday and a Sunday, or on a Friday and a Saturday. Make sense? It's whenever it plays out, okay? So if the, if the 14th day was a Tuesday, that would mean then that Wednesday, from our calendar, would have been the 15th day, and the Wednesday then would be what? The Holy Convocation. Think 4th of July. We don't say, so, thank, or let's go Thanksgiving first. We've made Thanksgiving into the fourth Thursday of November. That's our Holy Convocation Day. Make sense? That's our Sabbath. That's, we don't call it that, but in a sense, that's what it is. It's a holy day to us. We have set it in stone, but it used to be the last Thursday. I don't know if you guys know that, but it used to be the last Thursday of November. And so then it always was confusing because is it the fourth, is it the fifth, and stuff like that, because sometimes it would play out. And so... Back in, I think, the 40s or 50s, they, they nailed it down and said, it's going to be the fourth Thursday, period. Okay? So, 4th of July is not that way. 4th of July is always the what? 4th of July. I mean, and so the 4th of July could be whatever. It's like Christmas Day. You know, Christmas Day could be on a Sunday. You know, that really messes plans up sometimes because you got all your, your plans and then all of a sudden the church wants to meet too. And so... Um, and so anyways, so it's the same way, okay? So all of a sudden, you could have this holy convocation in the middle of the week. Tracking with me? But the same week, you'd still have a what? A weekly Sabbath as well. So there's the possibility of having what? Two. Hard, hard to put in three. You're going to get to a third in a second. You're, you're right, but you're ahead of me on it. But, but you're, gonna, you're more than you realize it's there. Okay, so two, because the seventh day is going to be a week away anyway. Make sense? David. The, the 14th, just to be clear, because this could relate to the three charts. The 14th day is not actually Sabbath. That's correct. You're right. The 14th day is not a holy convocation. It's a preparation day. And that's what you're going to read when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and all these things. You start reading about these preparation days. Okay? Well, the preparation day was always the day before a Shabbat. Okay, so on the 15th day, all the leaven had to be gone because that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if you go to a Jewish house today, the 14th day of Nisan has become a day of preparation only for preparing for eating the feast. Okay, so on that 14th day, they do a massive spring cleaning. Okay, because all the leaven needs to be gone. Okay, and they don't have a temple anymore, so they're not going and worrying about sacrificing the lamb at the temple, so they make their meal, and then they eat it in the evening, which actually, for them, is the beginning of the 15th day. Again, look at the calendar, okay? Understand that the, that the Jewish calendar starts, or day starts, around 6 p.m., sundown, okay? So at, when they would have that evening meal, that was the beginning of the next day, okay? So... Concept of the Sabbath, now the plurality of Sabbath. So, in Matthew 28, verse 1, in the Greek, I understand it's in the Greek, but 
It's amazing how many people, when I, when I show you this in the Greek, you can even see this word. Can you see this word? I mean, kind of, it's an S, an A, a B, a B, an A, a T, and then this kind of W in the middle there, and an N, right? It's the word sabaton, okay? And it's amazing how many people can, can see this, okay? And if I, if I put up here the, um, my app, I don't even know what I did my phone. Anyways, you can go on, you can get apps where you can do the, the Greek, okay? And you can have the, 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 the Strong's number with it, and then you can have the parsing guide that's with it, okay? And what you'll find out, if you do the parsing guide, okay? Am I right? Yes? Okay. Numerous of you have seen this. This is one of these things I showed the lady on the, on the plane. Remember I had five hours to talk? This is even something I showed her on the plane. She was like, wow. She even saw it. I mean, this is a woman who's never had seen Greek before, and she can see it. It's, it's right there, okay? And, um, but you have this word, sabaton, and every time it's tone, what is it? What kind of plural? Come on. All right, another Greek student. Genitive plural. Genitive plural. It doesn't matter if it's masculine or feminine, it's always going to be a known. Okay, so it's sabaton. It's a plural. Okay? It's, going to, it's a plural. So, so now I've got to deal with this, after this now after the Sabbaths, okay? Because there's... Well, I'll stop for a moment. So after the Sabbaths, as the first day, Mia, of the week, Sabaton, again, i got a plural, um, week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Well, man, I got this thing. And so in the Greek, it's, you, start to, you start to deal with this because the word Sabbath can be used singular. The word Sabbath can be used plural. And again, you've got to remember way back to the beginning because we're going to bring this concept of the Sabbath fully into here. A Sabbath can be what? The seventh day. The seventh day or the, the, the weekly Sabbath. a day of rest. Okay, Or the Holy Convocation, which was that seventh day, which was a day of rest. Makes sense, which kind of culminated it all, but I could have those otherwise, okay? So, what you started having was the first day of the sevens, the first day of the week, okay? Because that seventh day then began to be symbolized as the week. So, um, with Daniel's vision, you have 70 Sabbaths, 70 sevens. And so, you got to analyze what are the sevens. Make sense? So there's seven years. So it's just a concept, okay? But the sabbaton the, became, the, the Sabbath became concept of a week as well, okay? So you have a first of the week, but then you have then also this other thing that is after the Sabbaths, okay? And you've got to figure out how that plays out. So let's bring in the other Gospels, okay? So over here is what we just saw. In Luke 24 and John 20, they both have miaton sabbaton, referring to the first of the week. First of the week, Okay? Literally is all it says. So first of the Sabbaths. First of the Sabbath. Okay? But in Mark 15 and going into 16, we have Mark then using, again, a little illustration. And I think Peter is the one, again, writing through Mark. Okay? He says, now when evening had come, because it was preparation day. Okay? Now you've got to ask yourself, what was that preparation day? Okay? Well, it's going to be the day before the first day of unleavened bread. Because we know that Jesus was offered on Passover. Now you have to ask yourself the questions that we, if you believe that Jesus died on a Friday, okay, then you have to believe then that Friday was um, Passover, 14th, and then the Saturday became the 15th. And so that you'd have a holy convocation slapped on top of a holy convocation, which is possible. Makes sense? You, you tracking where I'm going on this one? Okay. But it doesn't have to be that way. Okay? 
So that's where he says, but so this is the key here. So watch. So now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, pro-sabbaton, singular, now at the elapsing of, so, and then he goes afterwards, after the resurrection, now at the end, elapsing of the Sabbath, again, singular, okay? So, Mark chooses to use a singular term, okay? What is he referring to, okay, is, is the question, okay? So, the idea here is that he's referring back then to the Sabbath day concept, Make sense? That where he has this thing. Matthew 12, 1 to 8. I knew I had, uh, in my brain, to hopefully clear up a little bit of the clogging, okay? Because you note plural, singular, plural, singular, singular, okay? So now all of a sudden, Matthew's going to what? Blend all these together in one passage. It really helps a lot, okay? At the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbaths, but not Sabbaths, it's Sabbatone. The word Sabbatone was used, okay, this is going to really, like, to, again, toward we saw that Mia, Mia Sabbatone, okay, whenever we refer to the week, the seventh day, not necessarily the Sabbath, the Holy Convocation. It's the seventh day. Remember? You got the seventh, so it's just the seventh day. So, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to put words in here, okay? At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the seventh day. Now, we all know that the Jews considered it a what? Sabbath. But Jesus saw it as a what? The seventh day. So they went through on the seventh day, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to what? Pluck grains to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on... The Sabbath, singular, not the seventh day, the special day, okay? This is a holy convocation day. It may be the seventh day, but it's a holy convocation day. But he said to them, have you not read in the law that on the seventh day, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath? So Jesus used both of those concepts in one thing. He said, do you not read how they, on the seventh day, they went and they profaned the Holy convocation. In our blameless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, not the Sabbath tone. Did I lose you here? Yes. <laughs> okay, here's the key. Sabbath tone, Sabbath tone could mean the, the, the seventh, the seventh day. Okay, it could be the seventh day. Or it could be multiple holy convocations. Do you track with me? Okay, it's not going to mean, Sabbatone isn't by itself going to mean singular, the seventh day of the week, which was the holy convocation. It will not mean that. It can either mean that you're referring to the seventh day, or that you're referring to multiple holy convocations. It can't be one. It has to be one of those two. David. So um, I think I'm following you, except for I don't understand why it would be plural. Because the sevens, it's weeks. It's the, it's the sevens. It's just how they used it as far as the, how the process goes. That 
it would be the weeks. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I, I can't tell you why. I can tell you that it was. That's how it is. Okay? So in that then, um, oh, let me go backwards then. Down this way. So in that, when you come back to then the Gospels, oh, Bob. Okay, now after the Sabbaths, the Sabbaton, you have to make a decision with that. Do you believe that it says, after the Sabbaths, Holy Convocation, or after the seventh day? It wouldn't make any sense to me in Matthew 28, though. Now, after the seventh day, as the first day of the week began to dawn. That makes no sense to me. Because of all what everybody else used. It's very clear. All you need to do is say what? As the first of the day of the week came. Why would Matthew, being a Jew, writing to a Jewish audience, give me that other piece of detail? Make sense? Because Jewish people would understand what? The Holy Convocations. Which goes back again to this, and I'm not going to spend more time on it because we already talked about it a little bit, but it's going to be mentioned when we get into the third day. So I'll throw that slide up there. Okay, it was the third day. Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You can't get three days and three nights from Friday. You can't from Thursday. All these other passages, Jesus talked about that it was going to happen on the third day. Not the second day. The third day. So when you put it together, and again, when you go back to the Passover, which again, I don't want to do, and you look at this, you'll see Jesus coming in on the 10th day of Nisan. Four days then, according to Exodus chapter 12, four days that Passover lamb had to be examined. And then it would be slaughtered. Okay, So you have the four days coming in. Okay, Count it one, two, three, four, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then you have the 14th day of Nisan when he'd be slaughtered Thursday for us. And then you'd have the three days in the belly, belly of the wheel, Friday, Saturday, and then into Sunday. Okay, From what we call the days, not according to what they call the days. We can go, that, go into that. So, But the point is, it then fits the whole thing. But you'd have to have something be done with Friday. But for the Gentiles, we don't get it. But for the Jews, they got it, because if Friday was, if Friday was, a what? A holy convocation to the Lord. If it was the 15th day of Nisan, the beginning of the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread, then you'd have Friday and you'd have Saturday that were what? Both holy convocations. If it was on Wednesday, then Thursday would have been a holy convocation, and and Friday would have been an off day, and then Saturday would have been a holy convocation, so the woman could have went to the tomb on Friday. Make sense? Anyways, there are people who hold to, to, to a Wednesday that Jesus died on a Wednesday, but it, that doesn't make any sense. Because Thursday would have been a holy convocation, Saturday would have been a holy convocation, Friday you could have gone. The only thing that makes sense by the feasts is if Friday had to be a holy convocation. Now, I don't care what you believe on it, but for me, it's a big deal when it comes to, again, translating and interpreting and just accepting what God's Word says. So for me, um, it, it was after a couple Sabbaths on the third day, and it was on the Feast of First Fruits. I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but this is exciting. As you continue in Leviticus 23, talking about the next feast, and that's what I was going to say to you about another one of these holy convocations, okay? This one, though, isn't a holy convocation, but it is a feast, okay? So that... You shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall count for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf, the wave, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. 
count 50 days to the day of the seventh Sabbath. So in there, there's actually two feasts that are being talked about. There's the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits would be celebrated on the first, first day of the week after the Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, I know. Woo, 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 okay, but the priest got it. The priest understood it. Okay, so Jesus dies. You have then the, the, the Holy Convocation of the Feast of First Fruits. Okay, and then the day after the Sabbath of that week, which would be the first day of the week, right? That day would be what? The Feast of First Fruits. So play this out. Thursday, Jesus dies. Friday's the Holy Convocation to the Lord because it's the Feast of First uh, Unleavened Bread. Then you got your weekly, what? Sabbath. And the, the day after the weekly Sabbath is the Feast of First Fruits. What is Jesus? The First Fruits of the Dead. Fifty. The Jews don't do this today. It's really kind of funny because they, they try to take it away from the Sunday thing. But you can't. It's right there. It's, it's in their own law. And then you count 50 Sabbaths, 50 Sabbaths, not 50 days, 50 Sabbaths from that, from this first day of the week, right? And then 50 days from now will be then, if this was Resurrection Day, 50 days from now would be Pentecost, what we call Pentecost, the Shavuot, it's the Feast of Weeks, okay? And so that's how we get all that playing out when it comes to Pentecost. We know exactly when it is, because it's going to be 50 days from the day of Jesus' resurrection, how fun is that? God put all this stuff out there thousands of years before Jesus was ever on the earth. Okay? And he just fulfilled it. Remember, he came, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to what? Fulfill it. And he did. He came to fulfill it. I've got to keep moving on. So, anyway, so there's the, that, and it all plays out. It was on the first, first of the week, after the Sabbath, on the third day, on the Feast of First Fruits. Okay? We can talk more about that later. Because I want to keep moving on to the third point. The second point is important here. The truth of the resurrection. We all get this. This is We, we get this. What's the first thing we see? We see the opposition of the leadership. Um, prior to what David read this morning was when um, Jesus is being buried. And everyone, the, the leadership, the Pharisees and stuff, they're all worried about it. And they say, hey, we know that this guy said when he was on the earth that after three days he would what? Raise it raise from the dead. So therefore, we want a what? A guard. Why? Because we don't want the disciples to come steal the body and claim that it happened. Do you get it? They're helping their, our cause. If there's no other greater proof to the resurrection, it's that passage. Because who did, who did they go to for the guard? Pilate, what kind of guards were there? Roman. These weren't temple guards. These were Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers who, if they allow their their prisoner to escape, are faced with a what? Death penalty. Okay? So, they go and they seal the tomb. They seal the tomb. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. I mean, you can watch the movie Risen and how they do that, but I, I don't know. But the fact that what I do like about it is they put this kind of this official seal on it, you know, that it's like no one's allowed to enter this thing until they're given permission by the Roman authorities, okay? So, so however that is, and they got guards in front of it, no one's allowed in this tomb, period. So a bunch of 
fishermen from Galilee come and they overpower the, the Roman guards and they steal the body. And they roll the tomb back, the, you know, the stone back. How, how silly is this? Does that make sense? It makes no sense at all. Okay? And then they continue their opposition because after Jesus is risen from the dead, think about this. Wouldn't you like to think that it would change you? If these Roman soldiers came back and said, man, there was an angel that came and the stone was rolled away, it was an earthquake, and I, I don't know what to tell you. But what do they do? They bribe the soldiers. They cannot accept the truth, proving who they're working for at this very moment. However, we have the attestation of witnesses. We've got the woman, and then Mary Magdalene by herself, then Peter by himself. Then we had the two men on the road to Emmaus. Then there was the, the 11 minus Thomas on the very night in which he was resurrected. Then one week later, we had the 11 with Thomas. Then we had 500 at one time who, when Paul stated this, he said most of whom are still alive. In other words, you could what? Go ask him yourself. And then you had James, who was a stepbrother of Jesus, who wasn't a believer until after the resurrection. Think about that. That's an amazing thing, right? And then you got Paul himself as one born out of time, right? He says, I shouldn't have had this at all. And so you have all these testimonies of the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people who have seen Jesus raised from the dead. Jared, we talked about this a little bit yesterday with men's breakfast with the, just the word of God, that the word of God has been around for 3,500 years, and it hasn't been what? Disproven yet. Why, as they go back there and they research all these findings, has, has there not been an overwhelming amount of evidence that Jesus' disciples were liars? Because we found the bones of Jesus. Because we found the tomb of Jesus. Does it make sense? Why, why is all this still happening? They can't accept it. The fact, the truth is there. I mean, think about it. Something that happened 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, we might not have been there, but we read the what? The facts about the case, and we what? We accept it. There's overwhelming attestation that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, there were people, I mean, we read about this even from Josephus, okay? That the, the stories that are there, that it accounts of the things that have happened with the people raising from the dead and this kind of stuff. I mean, there's all this information that's out there. And yet we just still want to deny it. But for you and I, this is the culmination of the, of the moment. I mean, this is, this is everything for us. 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter is really about the importance of the resurrection. The, the, in your, in my life. First of all, Paul starts off with the culmination of the gospel. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed what? In vain. Unless you believed only here. If you believe it here, it'll change your life. If you believe it here, you may do things, but eventually you're just going to walk away from it. Because it's not, you don't really believe it. You accepted it intellectually, but then, ah, you know, if somebody else comes back with something else that sounds better to you, what are you going to do with it? It's going to go away, and you're going to replace it. But if you believe it here, it'll change your life. So Paul says, unless, uh, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he what? 
rose again the third day. Now, there's a fourth part of this that goes on in the next verse. Does anybody know what the next verse says? What's actually the fourth part? It's the attestation side of it. And that he was seen. And that he was seen. There's actually that, that statement continues. We usually look at the three parts. That Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. But Paul actually has a fourth part, that he was seen. Verified it all. Okay, We already talked about this. I didn't bring it in there. But this is the culmination of the gospel. Again, if, if Christ only died, but he wasn't raised from the dead, it wouldn't have done it. It's the core of our faith. He continues on in chapter 15. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by Adam came death by, by man... For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, you guys should have gone to the beach today. I mean, think about it. We're wasting our time. Everything we believe really is sealed into this deal. But even more so then, at the end of chapter 15, it gives us the completion of the victory. This is so huge. So, because Paul just said, if in this life we have hope, I mean, if it's all about just what we have here, then what? It still doesn't matter. Because eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're what? You're going to die. You're going to be annihilated. You don't, nothing. You go back into the, into the primor- primordial, whatever, primordial, ooze, yeah, and you just, you know, whatever. That's just all ridiculous stuff. He says, but Christ is risen from the dead, and we will then be with him. And then at the end of the chapter, he gets into why that's important to us, right? Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you, a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead, and cor- the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. How cool is that? Jesus is coming back. He's going to come back in the clouds. I don't have time to get into all that. He's going to come back in the clouds. The trumpet's going to sound. And then those who are his, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, what's going to happen? You are going to be, bam! I mean, in a moment, in twinkling of an eye, there's going to be this change, this transformation that goes on, and you're going to be caught up into the air. Now, I don't know if you start getting caught up and a transformation happens in the air. All I know is all this thing's going to go on and what? It's done. It's, you know, and it took me longer to say it's done than, than, than it was done. Makes sense. It's just a twinkling of an eye. Boom! Jesus comes back and, and we're with him in the clouds. Okay? Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of Yahweh, in the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why should we be ardently working for for Christ? Say again. Because he's risen. So what he's risen? Why should we be working for him? Because we're going to be raised from the dead. 
Did you get it? Not just because he's risen, but because he's risen, we're going to be raised from the dead. Death has no stamp on me anymore. You can't kill me. How cool is that? You can stop my tent from living on this earth, but you can't kill me. Those no fear stickers, that should be all about Christians, not that we act idiots. The ones who put those no fear, sometimes they're acting like idiots. Not that we act like idiots. Okay, But the fact is, I don't know how the process is going to happen. I've never been through that before. Never, you know, kind of did that before. Anyways, so I don't know. But I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You can't kill me. I am living eternally. I have everlasting life right now. I'm never going to die. Jesus died for me. And he conquered that sin. He conquered the grave. But when he conquered the grave, he also conquered sin for me. Sin has no power over me. So why do I struggle? Go ahead, be honest. You can pick on me. Why do I struggle? Because I want to. When it all boils down to it, it's because I want to. It's because I am not looking to him as often as I should. Now, hopefully... I'm growing in his grace and knowledge. Hopefully, I'm more sanctified today than I was 35 years ago. Yes? If you're not growing in Christ, if you're not growing in holiness, if, he's, if there's no work that's going on, and you're just so, as, as much enamored with the world today as you were the day that you said that you believed in Jesus, there's got to be a problem there. He's given me victory. He's changed everything. So, in the end, how has the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed your life? Has it? It ought to have. In some way, it has to have. If it hasn't, then you need to check that. Are you living in the victory, which Christ has won for you? That's why he did it. How do you view the death and the grave? Is it the end? Or is it just a transformation? It's the beginning. I mean, I'm not hastening myself there, but that's why I've always said the worst thing that people think they can do for you to you is the best thing they can do to you. You think about that. Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your word. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a hunger and a thirst to know truth at all times, to, to want to dig into truth, Lord, to know what you have declared in your word, even when it doesn't necessarily go with what our traditions teach. But, Lord, that we don't just research it, we don't just study it, but, God, as we are opened to truth, that we apply to our lives and we allow your truth to transform us, Lord, I pray that you would help me and help each one of us here, everyone in this assembly, Lord, those who are truly called by your name in this, in this country and in this world, Lord, that we would grow in your grace and knowledge. Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for you more than the things of this world. That we would be God-seekers, Lord. Lord, that we would believe that you exist and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. 
we would not be dissuaded from looking only to you. And Lord, help us to live as lights with boldness, Lord, knowing <laughs> that there is no death. There is nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nor height, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. God, you have, you have conquered them all. Help us to walk in that victory. In Jesus' name, amen.